Welcome to Rethink, the Financial Advisor Podcast. My name is Adam Holtz. And this is Derek Notman. We are your hosts, both veteran advisors and fintech CEOs who challenge the status quo, question everything, and have fun doing it. Hear honest commentary on the challenges facing advisors today. And be part of a community where we can all rethink the profession. Now on to our episode. Adam, is empathy an asset class? Hmm. Sounds pretty cryptic to me. It's cryptic, but not crypto. Thank <laughs> you goodness. can't buy it on any exchange. I'll tell you that. I'm thinking about it. This is like really intellectual comeback. Why do you ask that question specifically? Well, clearly as financial advisors, we touch our clients' money in one shape, form, or another. And we typically, quote unquote, invest it somewhere. But how are we helping our clients invest in empathy? And then also, are we investing in empathy for ourselves and, and even the places that we spend our money on as firms to drive value to our clients? I was recently in a group of very smart leaders in our space. And it turns out that despite empathy being thrown around like a basketball, very few people actually understood what that meant. What is empathy? Why are people talking about it? I don't have the definition in front of me, so I'll probably get this wrong. But in my mind, mm -hmm. empathy is basically like the process of understanding someone on a much deeper level by really good listening. Mm. Like I want to be able to empathize with you. And I to do that, I have to understand you. Maybe we have some shared experiences. The conclusion of this group was that empathy is an emotional awareness of someone else's journey and what they're going through. It's emotional intelligence, effectively. Yeah, emotional intelligence. Right? That makes a ton of sense. Why right? does that matter, though? But why does it matter? That was the big question. Wait, why do we keep throwing around this? Because if you understand the problems and the journey and the challenges of others, you can help them solve those problems or alleviate the stress associated with them. And as a vendor, a supporter, an advisor, a coach, a parent, someone who cares about someone else's journey, you can elevate their experience and you'll get something in return. Usually it's relationship building. Usually it's loyalty. And for those of us that are in the business of providing advice and guidance long-term, empathy goes a long way in designing the customer experience that someone's going to have associated with your brand that's referable, and that is long-term value in your business. So what you're saying, Adam, is that empathy is an asset class and that we should be investing in it. That's, I guess, the answer. Yes, it's yeah. an asset class. But it's not your traditional quote-unquote investment. And it sounds like to be really able to invest in empathy, one has to listen, mm. has to pay attention, but then also you keyword experience, create an experience that, that promotes that. Does that sound right? I don't know. It's true. I... So this sounds like a really intellectual conversation, but I think the reason you asked about it as an asset class is because it comes from a conversation that you and I had with a member of the largest asset managers leadership team. And this was a rare opportunity to hear from 
Liz Kohler, who runs BlackRock's advisor engagement program. And this is what we heard in our interview from her, is that the largest asset manager is actually investing in empathy. So Derek, help us get to know Liz and her story. So one, she's just awesome. I think you're going to love listening to her and her style. She's the head of advisor engagement as a managing director at BlackRock, which we all know is the world's largest money manager. She's been with them for over 20 years. She's got her CFA. She even has a master's from University of Pennsylvania in a positive psychology. She clearly is coming at empathy from a unique angle. And her group, they work with thousands of top advisors across the country, which I didn't know existed. We can get a lot of insights just from her and her team's experience on a pretty large scale. And I would say I was ignorant about this whole unit at BlackRock. Yeah. Right. Supporting these advisors, best practices, business consulting, study groups, events, a whole bunch of that. I, of course, I love the topic of advice engagement. It happens to be one of my pet projects around the whole industry. And so I was excited to see that BlackRock is really doubling down on advisors. So let's hear from Liz. Thank you, Liz. Really appreciate you joining us today. You know, you've been at BlackRock for just over 20 years, it looks like now. So congrats. I mean, it looks like most of your experience there has, all, has been around advisor engagement, working with advisors in some capacity. And then you also come at this from a background in psychology. And so I'm curious to know what's your unique perspective of the financial advice market as it is today? Yes. Thank you for having me. It's really wonderful to be here. I think my perspective is it's it's more important today than ever before. When you think about changing client demographics, you think about the concentration of more wealth with high net worth families and also massive generational wealth transfer, uh, the continued emergence of AI, right? This need for personalization and for more custom guidance is only growing. And I think expectations for that human touch and insight is also growing. At the same time, I believe that the, the skills required to do this well are also evolving quite a bit and growing in terms of what we see with many of the top advisor teams we work with. So it's that genuine empathy. It's that active listening. It's that problem solving um, expertise in new areas, whether it's tax management, private markets, family dynamics, right? These are all big opportunities, but what we're seeing is it requires advisors to have both the energy and the desire to continue to grow and evolve. And the last thing I'll just say is that most leaders don't always have the, the skills or the time or the resources to teach their teams how to deliver on some of these expectations. So the other piece is that training and that development of talent to be able to grow in their expertise um, at a much faster pace uh, is a challenge for many folks that we see. We totally relate to that. Both of us as practitioners, having the challenge of growing a business as well as being an advisor, it's a very strange entrepreneurial journey, delivering service while also figuring out how to scale. I'm curious, what do you think the missing opportunity is then that advisors just don't see coming? Well, I think it's related. It, you know, it's the importance of people and talent. So yes, that includes recruiting, which I know is a big topic in our industry today, but it's also setting teams up for success. So it's taking the time to understand their people at a deeper level, coaching, career development. We know we need more great talent to come into the industry to serve clients, but we also need to carve out the time to understand the energy, the motivation, the drive of our people to help them achieve their own goals. 
and also how those goals and those values tie to the goals and values of the business overall. I think that's such an integral part of its success. So please don't get me wrong. There are many advisors who are great at this, but a lot may have gotten into the business with a different type of a passion, which was often to serve clients. And so they're finding this need to quickly evolve. And the only other thing I'll mention is this also relates to another hot topic is succession planning, right? A big topic we're hearing a lot and almost 75% of advisors don't have that formal succession plan and close to 25% of those retiring in the next 10 years don't know who their successor is going to be. One of the biggest challenges we hear around succession planning is that emotional aspect of transferring clients. So then how do we develop or find that next generation of talented leaders as more and more advisors are looking to retire? So I think it's all related and it comes back to where I started, which is the importance of the people, the talent, and that development. Really insightful. And it's actually really refreshing to hear you mention the part about more, almost more the soft emotional side of why are the advisors doing what they're trying to do and tying that into all of the more tactical things that are really important to run a business. So I think you've mentioned this before, but you have a resource at BlackRock, I think it's called the Advisor Center. Given what you're seeing there and what, what resources you guys have, are there any specific action steps that you would recommend any of our folks listening today, whether advisors, firm leaders, owners, other fintechs, that they should rethink how to address the missing opportunity that you just mentioned? Yes. This may seem like common sense. It's just, it's not always common practice in starting with the vision, right? What is your team or personal story? How is it that you're standing out from your peers? And then what role will each member of your team play to realize that vision, right? Did they understand it and how it fits into that bigger picture? It's increasingly important today, not only for our people, but for clients. It's about deepening the team's emotional investment by laying that groundwork early on, right? Can you tell stories about how you got where you are today? What was it that inspired you? What mistakes did you make? This all makes you more human. It also helps your team and your clients connect even more deeply. And we do have resources on our advisor center, including tools, insights, practice management that talk about this and other pieces, including the value proposition. How do you think about why clients come to you? What makes that business unique? Because ultimately, people want to know the person behind the brand. And we're finding more and more with advisors and teams we're working with is they're working on that personal brand and that personal story even more. People don't just buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And it's that authenticness that's so important more and more today. That's great. I really appreciate that. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of financial professionals because you're right. The reason they got into this business is to help people and scaling that or delivering that to more and more people, even their employees that become very much family members over the long term a family by choice in many ways, is is really important. I, I can appreciate that. That's actually something we'll take back to our team and, and implement right away. Curious if there's anything you think we need to debate or the community needs to start talking about more. So we talked a little bit about team and people and talent, mm -hmm. which is incredibly critical. I, I would also say when it comes to clients, we do get the question sometimes, right? We know that the client landscape is evolving and changing and and People ask, are tomorrow's clients really that different than those of today, right? Folks are living longer. We get the question, won't I be fine if I keep serving my clients now and, and with a similar approach? And I, I think we believe we do really need to think about and evolve our approach for the clients of tomorrow. 
just a few reasons. I think it's by 2030, millennials are expected to inherit, we know, close to $73 trillion uh, from, from baby boomer parents, but mm-hmm. their wealth is also projected to grow fivefold, right? Gen Z's income is going to be close to $33 trillion and exceed that of millennials by the following year in 2031. And, and we hear the story we know, a lot of women are next in line in terms of the wealth transfer, and they're typically outliving their male spouse by at least five years. I say all this because it's, it's also still true that, you know, we hear this, 70 to 80% of these clients leave their advisor upon that point of inheritance if the relationship has not been established with them. So I think retaining assets in that next generation needs to start with building those stronger relationships, but just really understanding who these clients are, what they really want. They want someone who they can trust, who understands their values, who delivers more outcome-based planning, more digital integration, newer approaches to retirement and financial protection, and that wider network of specialists. I think that's also an important point. You know, long gone in my opinion, are the days when clients expect their advisors to have all of the answers and to be their sole resource for their finances. Now, I think clients want the advisor to be a connection to other experts, right? They want, yes, more of their advisor's time and understanding, but uh, they also want access to the advisor's resources so that that advisor can help them make the best use of their time and their resources. So I would just say the question comes up sometimes, is it really going to be different? I think the answer is yes. But what I love is advisors are so uniquely positioned to be that accountability partner, to have that blend of expertise and emotional intelligence to really meet the needs of future clients if if they're intentional about it. Liz, you have a refreshing take on looking at advice. And this is what Derek and I talk about a lot. I'm really curious because when we think of BlackRock as being a massive asset management, right? One of the top in the world, if not the top, depending upon which day we're looking on. <laughs> what is BlackRock's take in your unit's specific agenda to support advisors? Because I think there's a lot of us in advice that don't really think of BlackRock in this way. So what are you guys doing specifically for the market? Yes. Thank you for the question. Look, I, I think just the same way we talked about clients are expecting more from their advisors today, right? In the way of support and expertise and engagement, We feel the same should be said of advisors' expectations of their asset management partners. And so BlackRock wants to be seen and and experienced as that partner who doesn't only provide products and and solutions, but is there to truly help advisors as they think about their own growth and serving their clients. And this is not, by the way, BlackRock coming in trying to tell an advisor how to do their job, right? That's not our place. But We do have the benefit and the privilege of speaking with thousands of top advisors and firms and teams across the country every year. And so what we do see are some of the best practices that are being employed from those who are growing. And and that's some of the insight that we feel we can share. Wow, Adam, that was a really great conversation with Liz. And what's interesting is I I feel like we only scratched the surface Mm. with the insights that she and BlackRock have. I mean, think about it. This team that she is running is talking to thousands of top producers across the country from all different types of firm makeups and practices and so forth. And we're lucky we got 15 minutes with her to learn just a little bit. But can you imagine Mm -hmm. all the learnings that they're having? It's fascinating. The data that they have has got to be unbelievable. Not that that's easy to plow through, but the insights they might have in terms of money movement flows in, flows out, types of investments that people are buying. 
and then trying to figure out ultimately their why, right? I think their knowledge of the customer might be so deep that they can make these kinds of decisions. But what I really thought was interesting, besides the fact that Liz is such a succinct speaker, is that they're attempting to evolve the perspective of their own brand of being a real partner with advisors. Because clearly they know that's where the money is going. Exactly. Like, well, they are the biggest in the world, right? So they see where things are going, where things are headed. And I would say it's pretty telling if they're putting time, money, resources, people into supporting more and more advisors. And just so I, for those listening, they don't have a TAMP. You can't go sign up to be a BlackRock advisor, which is fascinating. So they truly are trying to help advisors and the insights that they are gaining. So if that's where they're putting their money, that, I think that's really telling on where the industry, the profession, vendors, money managers, even advisors, and ultimately the end consumer are all headed. Right. You, she didn't talk about how they're supporting the robo-advice direct consumption model. They talked about that they're supporting an advisor-driven model yeah. because that's where the money's going. These transition themes that she brought up from women and millennials and understanding that it informs their investment decision of where they're going to put their capital and they're choosing to invest in helping advisors grow their business. I think that is really telling as this ongoing debate is about, well, what's the human role in advice and is it going to be direct and robo? They're saying not our data. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that talk about a peek under the hood or behind the curtain. Holy smokes. If this is what they're doing, then that's pretty telling and pretty awesome. What are some takeaways that you got from our conversation with her that might be a little bit more tangible for our listeners? You know, the thing that stuck out to me was their insight on people and talent. Actually, that one is really my number one takeaway. Uh, I think there's been a huge discussion point, not only about succession and building your firms and rolling up into other groups to try to get practice management at synergies. But I think the real interest is actually to deal with the biggest problem, which is succession and next generational planning, especially where your financial advisor firm is going. I know a lot of advisors I talk to are trying to figure out whether they need to merge with other firms to get other people. People has been the hardest thing to really get right. And we know that this is a people business, so they matter imminently. And I, I think the relationship is what keeps a client with your firm, not necessarily the advice delivery or the performance delivery. It's the people. What about you? Definitely the people. You know, I, I think further down that vein is how to tell your authentic personal story. Mm. And, and you know, that ties into career development, the people talent piece, all of that. And it like, even Jamie Hopkins was talking a bit about this when we did that special Wealth Stack uh, podcast episode mm. about how important career development is. But that personal story is what people connect with. And, and Liz even said, people buy what you do, but they also buy why you do it. And I don't know about you, but when I started off at the insurance broker dealer, mm -hmm. the, the main question about people and story was, how many people do you know that you can go cold call? <laughs> you <laughs> know, and, and that's yeah. about where it ended. It wasn't about who's Derek and why is Derek doing this and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. and, but it is a challenge because it's a qualitative thing that we have to conceptualize and then be able to articulate to our customers through marketing, conversation, and so forth. So I think it's really, really important 
But what Liz is saying is that those that are doing that are becoming more and more successful because it helps you stand out and be mm -hmm. unique. And it taps into the whole people buy why you do it mentality. But you remind me of a situation actually just yesterday, as you know, I was at the Wealth Management Awards in New York City. And part of the program is they put, I don't know, 120 or so CEOs and CTOs from RAAs and fintechs and so forth in a room. And we had a discussion around bigger trends that are going on in the marketplace. And one of the questions that was asked to a panel of the CTOs, right, chief technology officers of these major companies, they said, if we gave you $5 million right now, off budget, just $5 million, what tech would you invest in? And you know what the universal answer was? I'm curious. People. It was people. people. They wouldn't buy tech. They said, I would invest in the people that are making the decisions of how to organize the technology and how to deliver it. They would upscale their talent pool if they had more money. Interesting. Very so interesting. here we are talking about people who are making technology decisions and they want to invest in people. How funny is that? I mean, it's an irony that of course should sit with all of us. The level of our talent pool and who we're putting together and of course being authentic about those people that we add to the system is still so much a part of this industry and it still will be for generations to come. Well, let's see, we can hopefully put that to rest. If you've got companies like BlackRock that are investing in empathy and coaching and development yeah. and customer succession planning, maybe we should all look at that internally and look upon ourselves to look in the mirror, if you will, and say, what am I doing to invest in my people, my team, my coaching, and our organizations like BlackRock providing resources that uh, I should take advantage of? Tech is a tool, not one to replace people, but to be used by people. So let's get Amen. the best people in to use it, right? <laughs> yeah. What that's else did what you doing. hear that was, a, that's a great takeaway for everybody. You do have this generational wealth transfer happening. And mm. I, we've talked about this before, we've heard it before, but now we're hearing it from the world's largest asset manager that the need for the human touch, for human insight is, is just continuing to grow. It is so, so important about that and that the consumer is looking for more than just asset management. And I think this is where we could really tie all this together is clearly BlackRock is an asset manager, but they're going above and beyond with value add services to support advisors. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting is that the advisors that appear to be growing the most and succeeding the most are the ones that are using the same model with their clients. They're providing the additional relationship, the empathy, the outcome-based planning, digital integration where it makes sense. They're helping as a connector between teams and experts. And it's really more of a conversation around money. So instead of, hey, yeah, I'll just manage your IRA, it's, well, no, let's talk about all this other stuff too. Let's really get personal. Let's listen. Let's have that empathy. And so you're starting to see this. And I don't know. So this was interesting. Where did it start? Did it start at the top with the asset managers and trickle down to advisors and then to customers? Or did it start with the customer is now trickling the other direction? I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. So you're taking the converse of this argument, which is where is that empathy of the customer's pain point really starting? So I think advisors have been generally aware that their customers have other problems that they may not monetize, right? So if we, maybe we monetize by assets under management but we're solving a whole bunch of other problems like financial planning and maybe uh, risk management and stuff. Maybe things we don't get even compensated for. In fact, 
one would argue that almost financial planning for many advisors is an ancillary benefit, yeah. almost provided gratis because you have assets under management with us. We are the asset manager and we're providing all these other great services. That makes sense from a loyalty, stickiness, value proposition standpoint. We all know that. To see this actually coming from larger organizations is interesting. And I think it begs the question for a lot of advisors to challenge, are there vendors, fintech, asset management, insurance out outlets, providing other services that are empathetic to your needs? That means, are they partners with you? And if they're not, I'll let you know that there's a lot of organizations out there that actually want a partner. I mean, this is a good question for you because here we are talking about our own services. Can we, let's, let's put the mirror on ourselves. What are you doing at Coupler? There you go. I'm going to put you on the spot. What okay. are you doing, uh, Coupler? Yeah. Okay, here we go. That's empathetic. Uh, we've said this before that technology is essentially table stakes at this point, and advisors are looking at what can I pay for? What am I going to get? So you have to drive the value add. So a couple, we're clearly doing lead generation in a different and better way, in our opinion, but we need to do more than just deliver a lead. What are we delivering about that a lead that can enhance the things that Liz is talking about, like empathy and having deeper conversations and being able to do holistic planning and really understand the client better. And so part of our lead gen process is that when a new lead contacts a, an advisor, because that's how it is. it's all consumer driven through our platform. We're going to queue up the advisor and say, listen, this is when the customer wants to be contacted. This is how they want to be contacted. Hey, by the way, you're both dog people, uh, et cetera, mm. et cetera, et cetera. This is what the customer is looking for. Is it a transaction or a long-term relationship? This is how they expect to pay for services. So the advisor is getting both qualitative and quantitative data before they've ever even talked to the lead. And at the same time, the lead has gotten all this great information about the advisor and why they got connected with them on a human level. So you've enhanced human connection before they've actually ever talked to each other. And if I'm an advisor, man, you've just saved me a ton of time on stuff yeah. that I would have had to do otherwise manually. Now I've got all this data and I can have more meaningful conversations, deeper conversations, which means I'm going to be a better advisor to my customer. And that's what the customer is looking for. I didn't even realize that we had such commonality in that. And I think what you're saying is that what your customer, what the advisor thinks that they're getting, they're trying to solve the problem, which is I need appropriate leads. I need qualified yeah. leads to work yeah. with, right? That makes sense. Any business needs that. But what you're saying is that you look past the problem of providing a lead and saying the real problem with the real lead is, is that we can increase the, the likelihood that you'll get success if you have greater relationship connectivity up front, if you have the right lead, right? Personality matrix, so that's exactly. really insightful. Exactly. So that shows great empathy in actually delivering the product. I think for, for us, and why I said we have so much in common is that, as you know, the core of Asset Map was to try to visualize everything going on in the client's life on one page because of the complexity that aggravated us as advisors, right? We are having to make so many decisions, usually in a vacuum, because that information is hidden or not in front of us when we need to make a decision. But the real challenge actually was getting to that situation, which is why we built discovery almost as a fun tool. It's a way to send a link directly to your prospects and say, hey, take 15 minutes on your phone and fill this out and it'll accelerate our conversation. Next thing you know, we have thousands of households completing this every single month now. I thought it was going to be a total failure, but the empathy was around how do you accelerate the time to get to that trusted conversation? Because yep. I've got some information about you. Now I can have a relevant conversation as opposed to a 
uh hey do you do you like uh, movies uh what do you, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah right who wants to start there no so i think that's interesting how, how we've both taken some of this but i think what it's hopefully indicating for those of our listeners is being empathetic about the real customer journey and solving their problems before they even ask them and they don't even know that you solve that problem i think that's a real trend it's uh, definitely a trend if i'm an advisor listening to this I would be thinking, how am I doing that for my customers? But I also would be asking the question, are my vendors mm. doing this for me? Yeah. Are they helping me do this for my clients? Am I getting more than just the bare minimum at this point? And I think that's just the, the product, message. right? That's a great point. So it's, I'm, you're not just buying the product, you're buying a whole experience. Exactly. And exactly. are you really curating that experience intentionally? Exactly. Yep. I think that's a great way to, to take it off there. That, that's exactly what's happening. And if, if if the world's largest asset manager is putting money behind that, then that means something. Well, thank you, Liz, for taking the time to do that. We really appreciate your time and respect what you're doing there. Advice engagement as a service, really pretty cool. All right, let's go to our community question before we wrap up here, Derek. This is from Lisa in New Hampshire, who wrote in a question that we actually don't get very often. It's not a technical question. Asking what Derek and Adam are working on when they're not doing a podcast. <laughs> Too many things. What are you doing, Derek? It's a it's a good question though, because there's more to Derek than Adam than just our our amazing jokes and, and conversation. I don't on the we podcast. don't do jokes. I don't know what you're oh. talking about. Well, we well, joke about each other, perhaps. <laughs> hey, we are the what? butt of each other's jokes. If that makes someone laugh, we've done our job. It <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh. We, that's all we care about. That's all that matters. If we're laughing, you're laughing. Oh, that's funny. Well, obviously, like I, I'm focused all, all in on my company, Coupler. We're fixing lead generation. We're doing it mm -hmm. differently. You definitely got to check us out. But what's cool is that today, like two hours ago, we finally went live with our first large global enterprise wow. partner. Congrats. And just super stoked. I'm, it's a little scary, but it's super exciting. It's really cool. And it's just, it's been a lot of hard work. I'm just really proud of the team. We're going to start learning a ton of really insightful things and seeing just how well this platform works. Uh, and we also, I, like we're growing the team. I brought on three developers last week. So we're growing. It's just really, really cool. So we're having a ton of fun. And I'm up for an award for couplers and rethink. I think they kind of blended it at the luminaries next week or next wow. week, November, I think it is. So that's pretty exciting too. Very cool. There you go. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I didn't know that. Um, how about so asset? What are, like you guys just mentioned the wealthies, how the wealthies go, like what's going on we with the did, asset? We did well. It's one of those things that we love to go to every year. And, uh, we were up for three, we we're finalists in three categories again this year. Uh, we didn't win uh, all of them, but we did win specialty planning technology for the fourth year in a row, which is unheard of. Nobody's won four in a row in their category. So I, for asset map, it's been an exciting journey. As many of you know, it started in my own practice and then evolved over the last 10 years, going viral at a top producer conference back when that was the name of the game and has really grown uh, all over the place. So we've been as both, ironically, we both do business in South Africa and uh, know, right? <laughs> which is really funny. I don't meet too many other fintech CEOs that have also a parallel path of doing business there. So we're real proud of our teams there. And it's been fun. We just crossed 45 employees at AssetMap and that's I'm having to man. relearn what my job role is. Like It's an interesting thing, scaling a company, let alone scaling a financial advisor practice. But it's an exciting time, I think, for all of us. And we're really blessed to be able to do all this stuff and share some of that knowledge with everybody here. So 
With that, we hope that all of you share what you're working on too. We'd love to hear more about you, continue to build the community. And of course, the community questions come into us from lots of different places, Derek, as you know, LinkedIn, emails, direct, sometimes even Twitter. So yeah. please uh, make sure you send those out to us. Awesome. Well, I think that's kind of about it. Well, for now, I'm for sure there's going to be something in a minute when we stop recording, but <laughs> that was fun. I'm really going to, I think the takeaway for me on this one is, is really to rethink, what are we rethinking? To rethink the level of empathy and service I'm delivering outside of the product I sell. And are we being empathetic to our customers' real needs uh, that are met or unmet at this point in time? I think that's, an, that's everyone should be thinking about that. Amen. With that, Derek, great to spend time with you. Good seeing you, brother. Till the next time. Thank you for listening to Rethink, the financial advisor podcast with Holt and Notman. Be sure to subscribe now and join the ongoing conversation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Asset Map or Connector. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.